origin stories. Whether it's Wonder Woman or Wakanda or Luke Skywalker, origin stories help communicate to us things that are essential about the story, about, about who we are, who these characters are, where we come from, what the world is like, or maybe even some whys of it as well. So a few years ago, uh, one of my uncles began doing research into our family origins uh, that was, well, what was more amazing to us about the story of birth dates and gravestones were the stories that we learned away, the, the stories in which I could see like my origins in them. I could say, yeah, that's, that's my people right there. One of the great little details of our family lore is that one of our great, great, great something, something, something grandfathers, uh, Isaac Hunter, appears in North Carolina's founding documents in 1788 when North Carolina was establishing Raleigh as the capital of North Carolina. It was determined and voted that the capital building in this city had to be within walking distance of Isaac Hunter's tavern, (laughs) where my great-great-grandfather kept shop. I'll let you work out why of that. But I guess my people have been opening the doors and gathering folks for a long time. That's my people right there. So I'm sorry it's just coffee for us today. <laughs> Origin stories help us remember the past. They remember, help us remember who we are. They shape who we are sometimes. They can help us, I think, be in some ways who we truly are and who we were built to be. And, and sometimes they, they construct our present realities around those stories of origin. And other times we, we kind of construct our stories of origin around our present realities. But most of the time, all the time, it's a mixture of both of those things together. How I understand myself is, is in all of the different identities that I move in as a, as a Christ follower, as a man, as a father, a pastor, as a descendant of a tavern owner— all of my self-understandings interact with and depend on, in some ways, the stories that I've heard and inherited along the way, the stories that I've told myself. And, and part of spiritual maturation for me has been recognizing and examining and untangling, in some ways, these stories of sorting truth from untruth and, and health from harm, embracing the stories that that move us on toward wholeness, toward Christ in us, the image of God in us, while rejecting or, or re-understanding those stories that do us harm. And sometimes it is required seeing these stories in a, a different light, but it has been and it always be, will be this interactive, lifelong conversation with myself, with the community around me, with these stories, and with the God who is love, who's at work, in us all. And it's the same for us as a faith community who stands within a tradition, like a small part of this humanity-wide creation-long collective journey with God, uh, that we have our own origin stories that we're tangled up in. And as we grow and mature, there are stories along the way to embrace, and there are stories to examine, and stories to unentangle. It's part of being a people. So as the theologian James Cone writes in God of the Oppressed, this is what it means to be a people. Every people has a story to tell, he says, something to say to themselves, their children, and to the world about how they think and live, about as they determine and affirm their reason for being. The story both expresses and participates in the miracle of moving from nothing to something, from non-being to being. So as we 
as individuals and as a community of faith, participate in that miracle of being and becoming. These stories along the way shape us and guide us in that. And so what are the stories that we tell here? So each week as we begin together, we speak our story as best we know it. We affirm that God is a good God, that all people are created in in sacred worth, and that we are all invited to choose to be a part of God's work of love, choosing to have open hearts and minds and doors and open arms to God and to each other. That's our story. But I thought as we engage this series about seeing the text of Scripture in a different light, about seeing a different light within the text of Scripture, that we might look a little farther to the origin story in our community library, to Genesis chapter 1, to the beginning of the text gathered in Scripture. And as we examine what, what light it has for us to tell us a little bit more about who we are and who God is and how we are invited to live in relationship. And just like all of our origin stories, going back to read it will be a bit of wrestling, untangling the stories in ourselves from each other and trying to hear what they are, are telling us and what they're not telling us and being invited into a participatory conversation that we have a part to play, a story of our own to tell in this great community of faith. It is a dynamic conversation about love and life and meaning and what matters. And the conversation so often begins with our origin stories. And those stories begin at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start, of course. So here is the origin story within the community library of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Can't get much more origin than that, right? But my goodness, I don't know about you, but in my like, Baptist upbringing, that's my background, these simple words, in the beginning God created, caused a lot of turmoil and wrestling as we tried to figure out the how of this particular story. A lot of intricate theories about how it all worked, about how the dinosaurs on the ark didn't eat Noah, and his family. You know, well, Daniel survived the lion's den, and so Noah survived Jurassic Ark, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. That came to me really late last night. I apologize. Apologize. So, <laughs> to start off, uh, and I, I want to say this clearly. I want to say this clearly. Um, to all of us, I have seen so many folks along the way wrestling with this converse, conversation um, because they've been told that if Genesis 1 were not a literal science textbook, that faith somehow was impossible, untenable. So I want to put your mind at ease as we begin um, about Jurassic Arc and all of it. I've looked at this widely and deeply and to the best of what I understand. Israel's origins, uh, the truths that they are communicating to us, simply were not designed to answer scientific 21st century questions about the beginning of the universe or the biological evolution of human beings. But rather, they were meant to answer then pressing ancient questions about the nature of God and God's relationship to creation. And they read that way. They're full of ancient cosmology and literary motif, but even still, there is a light that shines in their stories. And so Genesis isn't trying to tell us how God created the heavens and the earth. In some ways, Genesis is simply trying to tell us that God created the heavens and the earth and trying to tell us something about who that God might be and who we are in relationship to God and to each other. And those are the big, enlightening questions and conversations worthy of talking about. 
So the Old Testament scholar Peter N. says it this way, it is a, a fundamental misunderstanding of Genesis. That's a great way to start a quote. To expect it to answer questions generated by a modern worldview, such as whether days were literal or figurative, or whether the days of creation can be lined up with modern science. And he says, the question that Genesis is prepared to answer is whether the God of Israel, God, is worthy of worship. That's the conversation. That's the conversation the text is having amongst its world and amongst its people. That is the light that this origin story is seeking to shine into our world. And as we listen in to the conversation among the people who wrote it and the audience that they wrote it for, and as we look for their light, we just might overhear in that conversation, in our generation, something time-tested and life-giving that has always been shining here. So what is the beginning of Genesis communicating to us? What is it telling us about God and humanity? First, uh, Genesis, as we said, is not explaining how God created the universe. It is claiming that God created the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this was a remarkable claim back then for a number of reasons, and it still is in many ways today. So the author here is, is claiming that the universe had a beginning, And for everything that has a beginning, it has a cause. It has a first mover that set it into motion. And for the universe, it's claiming that God is the cause. God, not the gods, which was a big deal back then. But the beginning, too, that the universe had a beginning and a cause was an important claim as well. So since the time of Aristotle, at least in 400 BCE, it was common to imagine that the universe had always existed, that it just was. Einstein initially thought this um, too. And so it wasn't until 1927 that uh, Georges Lemaitre, um, a Belgian Catholic priest and a professor of physics, proposed a theory called the Big Bang Theory. So it wasn't Sheldon who proposed this. But it was this guy, a Belgian Catholic priest and professor of astronomical physics, which makes me feel like a slacker, <laughs> truly. But today, what he laid out has been tested over and over experimentally. And so the widely accepted view today is that about 14 billion years ago, 13.8 billion years ago, in one trillion trillionth of a second, the universe exploded from a singularity into all the matter in the known universe, that there was, in some way, a beginning, and every beginning has a cause. But as we said, Genesis isn't trying to do science in this, but it is trying to say that there is a cause for what is in our world, and it calls that cause God, Elohim in Hebrew, the God, the one God, which may seem mundane to us, but in the ancient Near East, this was crazy talk. There were gods, not God. And so Israelites were often called atheists because they did not believe in the gods. They believed in God. But Israel's religion and worldview was like no other, but its claim was ancient. This was before Romulus and Remus and the legends of Rome. This was before the development of the Greek pantheon. Israel understood that there was one God, and they saw it their calling to live in such a way to make the light of this one God known. And so the light of the origin story in Genesis, as obviously ancient as it is, is so very, very, very different than the other ancient origin stories, the Babylonian, the Sumerian, the Egyptian, the Canaanite. Israel's worldview, even if it shares a similar cosmology and literary style to the others, is radically 
different light. So the Babylonian creation story, as I'm sure we all know, uh, is called the Enuma Elish, which means win on high. That's the first line of the epic. And it tells this epic's bloody battle between the gods in which Marduk defeats Tiamat and then creates the heavens and the earth by slicing her defeated corpse into two parts. <laughs> Let's just say like Babylonian Sunday school for kids was like where everybody wanted to be. Kids show up every week to find out this crazy epic battle of the gods. It was a wild creation epic. But in that creation epic, in that creation epic, you are five books into this long epic poem before humanity even shows up on the scene, before humanity is created. We're an afterthought. And even worse, the purpose of humanity's creation is to be slaves to the gods. That's how the Enuma Elish describes the creation of humanity. Marduk says, I will create a savage and call him man. His job will be to serve the gods so that they may rest at ease. Humanity was to be a servant in this worldview to these brutal, capricious, self-serving gods, the origin story said. And so in the culture of the day, that was the relationship between God and humanity. And so the rulers of the people reflected that. They were brutal and self-serving and capricious as a reflection of the gods. They were living into the origin stories and being like their fathers in heaven. This is the way the world worked. And so I tell you this just to help us appreciate the contrast in this story, to understand the different light that Scripture is shining into our world and the conversation that it is having with the world and the context around it. And it mattered because Babylon, for whom this was their origin story, was the most powerful empire in the whole world, the most powerful empire the world had ever known at that point. And its worldview and its ethic ruled the thought in the day, and it ruled other nations. It ruled Israel as well. In 587, Babylon Babylon came and conquered Israel and carried off much of its population in exile to Babylon. The political and the religious and the social and the cultural leaders of the day were carried to Babylon and expected to assimilate into Babylonian culture. And this is how Babylon conquered the world. They just dissolved entire cultures and peoples. And it was in that context that much of the Hebrew Bible that we have was gathered together and collected and combined, that new parts were written. Much of it was written in Babylon. And in the face of this massive borg of a brutal empire, an affluent culture that assimilated everything, Israel said, no, no, this is not who we are. This is not who our God is. This is not who God is. And our story, our origin, our light matters. And so in this time of crisis, like we do, they returned to their stories, and they gathered the pieces together, pieces that would be collected into Genesis and into other books, and they made sure that they knew as a people who they were and what their story of this world and the God who created it truly was. And so in that context, they wrote, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. A formless void is this beautiful, poetic Hebrew line, tohu wabohu. (laughs) It meant primordial chaos, without form or order. It was chaos. And it was exactly what the world must have seemed like in exile, under the thumb of a brutal, unjust empire. Chaos. Someday is what the world seems like. Tohu wabohu. But in that chaos, it says that God is moving. 
So a wind from God swept over the face of Tobu Wabohu, over the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Within that chaos, God begins to move and separate light from dark and earth from sky and water from land and bringing order and purpose to chaos. And from that ordering work of God, life begins to emerge. The earth brought forth vegetation and plants yielding seed of every kind and the trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw it that it was good. And that is the refrain of the origin story. Over and over, every step of this creative process, God calls good. Not savage or brutal, self-serving or capricious. Creation is good. Even in its early chaotic forms, creation is purposed. And each step caused in its emerging evolution, God calls good. Our origin is good, they said, and our origin is God. But the most radical claim in those days that Genesis 1 makes comes a few verses later when creation reaches its pinnacle, the creation of humanity. Not five books in, but here at the height of a good creation, God creates humanity as the crowning jewel of it all. So Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, not to be slaves or servants of the God, God says, and let them have dominion, which means responsibility and care over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the cattle and all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So just know like creeping Halloween stuff is that's our jam. That's where we come in. So God creates this good creation and then creates humanity and gives us responsibility and care within it. In this story, we're not pawns. We are partakers and participants in creation. We're part of this creative work of our God of making and creating goodness out of chaos. We were created to cultivate and co-create and care for creation and to care for our communities and to care for each other. Because the picture that this lays out is astounding and enlightening even today. What happens next in this origin story, the way it is described is something that we have, as humanity, been trying to live into from the very beginning. It says, so God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, they were created. Male and female, God created them, and God blessed them. God created all of humanity in God's image, our story says, and blessed them. Male and female masculinity and femininity, the whole spectrum of humanity and all that it encompasses is created in the image of God and reflects God. With inalienable dignity right from the beginning, no matter what humanity in its chaos tries to alienate. And it doesn't mean men first and women underneath. There's no subordinate clause here. God created all in God's image, all of humankind, all that is, all races and ethnicities and cultures and genders and orientations and religion and socioeconomic status and Babylonian and Israelite, all were created in the image of God and blessed and loved and favored and invited to be participants in the creative good work in our world. And that means that we, as image bearers, most fully display and reflect God in our diversity, in all our human kindness. We most reflect that blessing of God on creation when we love God and our neighbor. 
ourselves when we are part of reflecting God together. So this was a worldview like no other. (laughs) In those days, humanity had little worth outside of, of power, and women and vulnerable classes had nothing, essentially. But this little countercultural community of Israel, to whom we trace our origin, said all of humankind is created in the image of God, given a role and a responsibility in creation, responsibility toward God, with each other, to all of creation. And this is an origin story that's so beyond its time that we're still trying to live into it and to bring order by it in our chaotic world. So to paraphrase uh, Angelica Schuyler in Hamilton, she's talking about our country's origin story. She said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. We'll maybe include women and people of color in the sequel, says. And so we, in all of our forms, have a long way to go. A lot of creative goodness still to do, to be who we were created to be from the very beginning. But this is our story that we live in and partake in and participate in. But even now, even in our time, just as God looked out at each stage of creation's progression and called it good, when God looked out at humanity, at us, amidst it all, Genesis 1.31 says that God looked out at everything that had been made, and indeed, it was very good, all of it. All of us, very good. So all those nights that maybe you've laid in your bed and you've wondered what God thinks of you, what your creator thinks of you, what the God who spoke the universe into existence moves over the waters, who shaped you and formed you and knows you, thinks of you. God looked out at you and at all that God had made and said, you are very good. And so that's quite an origin story, I think. It's no Wakanda, but it's pretty good. So in time, the stories of Babylon faded. No one tells their kids the Enuma Elish, right? There were other empires that came and other stories that came and went. But this story, this origin story, didn't fade. Not because it won like empires win, but because it won like stories win. Because it seemed to say something resonant and true. It seemed like it just might be our story. The story that caused us. The story that calls us. And so for us, what is it about this story? What, what calls us? What light shines out from this beautiful, profound, so beyond anything in our time, in this origin story? What can we find here that shapes us and inspires us and invites us on toward more? First thing is to remember that God is the cause of creation. Every beginning has a cause, and God is the cause, our story says. And I know that's boring. That seems like a very obvious thing to say. But it's not boring at all when you think about the character that our tradition says about who God is. What's been attested by the community conversation, what we see in Christ, what echoes in our lives. We see that written down by the community around John 1, 4, 7, and 8, declares that God is love, as we read last week. That in some way, the cause of the universe is love, is divine love, is God working in love 
that God's relationship with us, with the cosmos, is marked by love. And how much love does it take? (laughs) God so loves us. Takes so much love. So John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. And that little word that we translate world, it's the Greek word cosmos. For God so loved the cosmos. Divine love is creation's cause. It is creation's destiny. It is what we are working for. And love is the creative force that will get us there amidst the tohu, wabohu of our world. That's the light in our origins. Another thing that helps us see the light of this story is that it tells us that God is at work in the chaos, which should bring us incredible hope that in this world, God hovers over the tohu abohu of our world and out of chaos, there will be goodness and purpose because that's what God does. No matter the brutal strength of empires or the broken systems of our world or the chaotic seasons of life, we are loved by God and God is at work for goodness. And that does not mean that what happens in our world and in our life is, is somehow good or ordained. Chaos brings real hurt. But our story is that even amidst it, God is creating and working and working for life and growth and goodness and love. And the end of the story says that life and growth and goodness and love prevails. But there's something even more beautiful about this, is that we have a part to play in this. We are not pawns. We are participants and partakers of this work of creation. We are image bearers carrying that life-giving image of God. And we're invited to play a part, to take responsibility and to care for this world and for each other. And that means that you and me have a part to play in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, in very small ways, but ways that are full of that great creative love, every act of goodness toward God and creation, our neighbor and ourselves, every act of goodness toward our kids (laughs) and the chaos of all of that, every act of creative goodness We carry on this work as active participants in the creative goodness and the creation of goodness in this world. And that invitation is there for all of us. We are all invited to this sacred worth because we are all created in in sacred worth. All of humankind in the image of God, children of God, no matter what. We've oftentimes, in our faith stories, let these entangled stories keep people from feeling invited. But the loving heart of our story says that we are all invited, all apart, all blessed and called very good. And even more, as people created in the image of God, together in the image of God, we need each other in our diversity together to reflect God in the creative goodness of our world. That's the call of our origin And that's the hope of creation. But I think the most important thing that this story tells us, the light that shines out from our origin story, is that it reminds us and inspires us and gives us hope and faith that we do not do this work alone. We do it with each other. We also do it with the power and the empowerment of the God in whose image we are made the creative creator God, the God who could speak the universe into beginning. And amidst the chaos brings creation. And amidst what is formless, God begins to form 
communities of hope and of love. The God who gave us inalienable dignity and identity in the very beginning and who in love invites us to be a part of that creative work of goodness, of very goodness in our world, in the beginning and in our generation. That's the God story. That's our story. That's our people. We have incredible light in our origin story. We have a great story to tell that invites us to remember, to reflect, and to become who we were built and created to be together. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your love for us. God, thank you for the love that brought all of creation into existence. God, the love that reaches out in relation. God, you call us very good. (laughs) Help us to see that, to see the way that you love us. But you also call our neighbor and those who consider themselves our enemies very good as well, created in your image. And so God, the love that you call us to is challenging and high. We cannot do it in our own power. We need the power of the one who can speak life into existence. And so we pray for our world. God, we pray for life that is beyond our ability to muster. May we be people of courageous, creative goodness and love in the spaces that we move. May, May we carry your peace into the places we are most afraid to go that we might be image bearers of a creative, good God, the cause of this, who is at work in this, who invites us all to be a part. In your love, in your empowerment, and in the hope of your love and life that prevails, we pray this. Amen.